Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the November 22nd edition of Macro Minutes called as Complicated. So while 2022 was complicated, it was dominated by a one-sided risk event, how high rates would go. But 2023 should be even more complicated. Depending on the depth of the growth and inflation slowdowns, markets still need to find their way on where terminal rates will end and what will happen next year. So policy scenarios could oscillate between three outcomes, rates on hold, further rate hikes, or rate cuts. So to make sense of the current and future complicated macro and market environment, we are joined today by Blake to discuss the U.S. Treasury market, Peter to talk about the complicated situation in the U.K. and Europe, Adam on the dollar being complicated by cross-asset themes, and Amy on the complications of data dependency on volume positioning and also the crypto market. I'm going to kick it off today uh, with a brief summary of the 2023 Canada rates outlook that we published last week. And so for monetary policy, we think from a base case point, a lengthy period of the Bank of Canada keeping rates at a high level. Our forecasts uh, assume that the Bank of Canada reaches its terminal rate, which is 4% in our base case, but realistically anything in the 4 to 4.5% area uh, is not unreasonable, and that this level will be maintained through 2023. So we think that's probably a 60% uh, probability. A 15% uh, probability we give to uh, rates going beyond 4.5% or scenario where uh, the Bank of Canada pauses and then uh, needs to uh, hike rates later in 2023. And we give a 25% chance to rate cuts, uh, most likely in the back half of 2023. These would probably be more uh, corrective in nature rather than a long-lasting uh, easing cycle. And you know what that means for the rates market, we do think it'll be a better environment next year. So the front end of the curve, specifically twos, they'll probably be um, almost entirely dictated by what happens with monetary policy. But rates uh, further out the curve that have been closely linked to terminal rate pricing should see the beta fall quite rapidly and the macro drivers start to become more favorable. So stuff like consensus expectations for uh, the policy rate, expectations for GDP and inflation, these should start to become more favorable. At the minimum, cap any uh, large increases in yields and probably lead to uh, declining yields through uh, 2023. Um, As far as the curve, parts of the yield curve uh, with twos as the front end leg, these should stay quite flat or they could even flatten further. But stuff further out, such as 530s or 1030s, could show a great propensity uh, to steepen. Now, what does that mean for uh, trade ideas next year? Um, Obviously, it's a very uh, difficult environment to be having uh, medium-term trade ideas. We kind of took a stab at it. And a few that we like are receiving Canada versus the U.S. in the front end, so the two-year sector. So that spread becoming uh, more negative. And this is based on our view that the Fed is going to need to tighten uh, much further than the Bank of Canada, and especially versus what's priced in currently. We do like a steepener trade, 530s in Canada. This is a lower risk, but obviously a lower reward also, but is a good way to kind of enter into a steepening uh, dynamic without being susceptible as much to monetary policy. We do like the Canada curve flattening versus the U.S. uh, steepening in 210s. 
This is probably more of a a three-month-plus type of trade because in 2023, the chances of the Fed cutting rates, we think, is a lot higher uh, than the Bank of Canada cutting. We also like um, a six-month, 15-month swap rate steepener to play the view that uh, we do not think uh, the Bank of Canada will cut rates as a base case scenario, so that part of the curve should steepen. We also like a 10s, 30s swap spread uh, steepener. And we do like being a long duration in the 10-year, but we prefer to wait. And if we get back to 330 to 340 in 10s, then we look to enter that at that point. Uh, With that, uh, now over to uh, Blake to make sense of the Treasury market in the uh, current and future uh, complicated backdrop. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So I just wanted to flag real quickly. We will have our U.S. 2023 outlook uh, published hopefully by the end of today as well. But given that that is not out yet, you know, we'll probably discuss that more um, the next time we have one of these calls for today. Probably keep it a little bit more uh, near term. Um, Fed speakers since CPI, um, since the CPI miss, have, have generally settled into this kind of 475, 525 terminal range. I think most of the comments have been pretty balanced in talking about the risks. Um, I'd say uh, even a bit more. So then, then Powell, who was obviously read as a bit hawkish, uh, I think a step down to 50 basis points in December is now nearly a lock. Um, you know, take a pretty large beat in the November uh, CPI data or, or um, you know, some kind of other large surprise in, um, you know, either NFP or inflation data, um, you know, over the interim to really kind of move that expectation away from 50. Um, keep in mind the November CPI print is also the first day of the two-day FOMC meeting, so they'll have very limited uh, time to really kind of process that and work that into their assumptions, I, I would think that, you know, the decision on the step down to 50 would largely be made by the time they see that November CPI print. But um, so just something to keep in mind. Um, today we do have the, or, I'm sorry, tomorrow we do have the minutes being released. Um, I think they're largely going to echo the vibe of, um, you know, most of the Fed speakers we've been hearing from over the last few weeks. Um, and I think in general, it, it's probably going to be viewed as a bit dated given just that, um, you know, those minutes did predate the CPI miss, um, you know, so, so probably kind of a, a, a little bit stale in that respect. Uh, I still think there's a bit of a, of a dovish lean to the risk. If you remember um, the prepared remarks from Powell, the statement uh, were actually quite dovish. It was really only when uh, Powell started speaking more freely during the Q&A portion that we really got that kind of hawkish, uh, the hawkish side of the message that ended up being kind of the takeaway. But everything that was prepared um, and kind of discussed by the committee, presumably, um, was really more to the dovish side. So I would expect the minutes uh, to be more in line with that than kind of the comments we heard later from Powell during the Q&A. Um, as far as what markets are doing right now, it's still pricing in a pretty reasonable path in my mind. We've got um, 50, uh, again, basically a, a lock for December with some very small risk for 75. Um, you know, I think a toss-up in February between 50 or 25, and then something closer to 25, you know, a f- further step down in, in March uh, with some small chance of a pause. That leaves terminal around 505, which, as I said, is pretty in line, um, you know, with, with our current call for 5 to 525 range. Um, what that means is that all the flattening we've seen in two tens over the last week's really been driving by additional been driven by additional cuts being priced into 2024 rather than uh, kind of a continued march higher in terminal, which is really what's driven most of the flattening we've seen up until this point. Um, two tens, uh, at least the last few section sessions, looks like it's very tentatively trying to find a new bottom somewhere around this negative 75 basis point level um, outright. 
basis, tens look like they're also settling into a, a bit of a new range and kind of 375, 385 area. Uh, but of course, you know, any ranges are tentative nowadays um, and kind of pending today's minutes release. Uh, I do tend to think that these kind of new flat, lower flatter ranges generally likely to hold uh, at least until the setup for the next round of inflation data and uh, the Fed, which we'll get into, you know, the second week of December. A little bit of risk around NFP next Friday, but really I think the inflation data and the Fed are, are going to be the major risk events that, that are more likely to kind of push us out of that range. Um, with regard to that data, I think biggest risk in my mind, um, you know, again, not our base case, but is, is really a bounce back in the CPI data, back to those kind of high levels we've seen up until this last print, um, in which case, you know, that could see twos, tens, plum, even new depths looking for new flats uh, for this cycle, um, although this time we would expect it to be more of a bearish move than, than what we've seen with the bullish flattening that we, we got after the CPI move. Um, on the other side, if it's a low print, um, you know, further low print, I think that's really more just confirmation of current pricing than, than a catalyst for a major shift out of these ranges. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll pause and, and move it along. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Blake. Um, next up is Peter to discuss the UK and Europe and the complicated situation there. Thank you, Jason. First of all, I would like to stay on the topic of inflation that um, uh, Blake was just talking about, because next week um, we will get um, the next batch of inflation data for November. Um, that's for the euro area. So it starts with the regional data on Tuesday um, and then comes uh, with the uh, pan-European one on Wednesday. Now, the rub here is that this is the first number where the market now expects a lower print compared to the previous months. Previously, we have surprised to the upside, but the market was expecting um, the number to, to rise. Um, so we, we had a stronger rise, but now we're expecting it to come down. So this could actually turn out to be the turning point. Now, one of the things that we have said for quite some time now is that because the market was expecting the turnaround in inflation to come round about this time, and because, in contrast to North America, a good part of our inflation, or a much stronger part of our inflation, is driven by energy prices, which will exhibit very strong base effects, inflation will fall. It's just a question of when that's going to come to pass. So as a result, as a result of that, we place quite a lot of weight on this number that will be coming up. Now, in the broader picture, however, what I have stressed before, and I want to stress it again, is that in the environment where inflation is likely going to come down, whilst we're going into a recession, it seems unlikely to me um, that the terminal rates, either in sterling or in euros, will be pushed significantly further higher. In fact, in sterling, we've been coming down now for weeks. And in the euro market, we have been trading sideways somewhere between, let's call it 275 and 325 in the terminal rate. And I think that is likely going to prevail. Now, what springs out of that, in my mind, is that the environment that we're going to go into will provide much more stability for the front ends. And if it provides more stability for the front ends, it will invite people, and particularly sort of in the spread markets, to buy more yield, to buy more carry. And we've seen that to some degree already. And I think that's going to be a major theme going forward. And we would also recommend to do so. Volatility should also come down. Um, um, absolute volatility as much as implied volatility. And um, option trades offer themselves accordingly. Now, before I hand over, I would like to raise, however, a slightly different topic, um, because one of the other elements that is already um, in the market for quite some time in the U.S. has started in the U.K. already. Um, it's going to um, start in the euro market as well, which is the topic of QT. We already had last week the um, release of the early repayments of the TLTRO, 
And while they were, whilst they were um, in line with our expectations at the lower end of expectations, or actually below market expectations, still the topic of QT will become much more dominant. Quite a lot of ECB speakers want the next ECB meeting on the 15th of December to make a firm statement about when they're going to start rolling down their bond holdings as well. Um, initially, most likely in the passive form, but nevertheless, um, this will be a theme. And the TLTRO repayment saga is not going to be over, and there's going to be uh, other repayment windows where the, where the banks will probably um, repay some of the TLTRO money that we have. So the balance sheet of the ECB will be coming down, and the question is how that's been um, how that's been received by markets, particularly in light of an environment where governments are selling to a very large amount um, bonds in order to pay uh, for the energy support packages that they have launched. Now, the market takeaway for us on that is uh, that we think that asset swap spreads will move. They have started to move both in sterling and in euros quite a bit, but we think there is more to come as we go into the year end and into next year. And with that, I'll hand back to Jason. Okay, great stuff, Peter. Uh, shifting gears to currencies, uh, Adam's going to tell us why the dollar view is being complicated by uh, cross-asset themes. Thanks, Jason. So, um, a complex world indeed in FX, and um, why I say that in particular is that in FX, we generally think about um, the world in terms of relatives. So, across currency pairs, the drivers are typically relative monetary policy, the prospect for relative interest rates, relative equity market performance, relative cyclical positions, um, and that's the world that we've been used to living in for at least the last 20 years. 2022 has been nothing to do with relatives. It's been all about absolutes. So what, what's dominated the FX markets this year is just an overwhelming rally in the dollar uh, against everything. With a couple of emerging market exceptions, the dollar is just higher against everything. And as we've mentioned on this call before, what, what we think has driven that in particular is the parallel moves in bond and equity markets. The fact that as we draw towards the end of the year, we're looking at a 200 basis point plus rise in 10-year yields accompanied by a 20% fall in global equity prices. And that is an environment which is unambiguously dollar positive. When we've had those kind of parallel moves in a negative direction, the dollar can only go up. Looking at where we go going forwards, the consensus view is that we are reaching peak dollar. If I look at analyst forecasts for 2023, then um, the, the overarching theme is dollar generally lower. Now, this is not new. This is the sixth year running where the beginning of the year call has been dollar down. And for most of that period, that call has been wrong. And we would, I think, at least for the early part of next year, again, want to position ourselves against that consensus. So the consensus seems to be, again, driven by a view that the world reverts in FX to being driven by relatives. Whether it's we finally get the relative outperformance of European equities relative to the US, whether it's relative rates because the Fed moves more aggressively to the downside than central banks in the rest of the world. It's a view on um, relatives reverting to drive the dollar down. And I think the danger for us is that we continue to be driven by absolutes in the early part of the year at least. And if we continue to see softness in bond and equity markets, not the steepness of sell-offs that we've seen this year, but no convincing evidence of recovery in either market, then the broad trend will continue to be dollar strength. And equally, if we 
move to price in a deeper recession than most economists are forecasting at the moment and a, a comprehensive downturn in both the US and the rest of the world, that again is a background against which the dollar generally tends to go up. The major risk to our positive dollar scenario is that we see the mirror image performance of performance this year. So not only do we see the peak in policy rates, the peak in inflation, but that comes against a background where lower discount rates mean higher equity markets. And um, we see the complete mirror image of the performance we've seen in 2022. And that for us is a tail risk at the moment rather than a central view. Our central view is that we should start the year as we started last year and the year before, pushing back against the bearish dollar consensus driven by absolutes rather than relatives. I'll leave it there and pass back to Jason. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Adam. Uh, last but not least, we're uh, pleased to have Amy join us today to, to discuss the uh, complications around uh, data dependency and its impact on vol and positioning, and also the complicated issues happening in crypto. Thank you. So, you know, equity volatility is a market that tends to overcomplicate itself anyway. So, it's definitely complicated, and investors have generally had three big questions around equity vol in 2022. They are first, why is skew, the demand for hedging, so low? Why is VIX and equity volatility lagging so much relative rates and FX volatility? And then finally, what is the growth of zero DTE? So essentially the growth of the zero data expiration trades. Why has that exploded? Uh, to give you context on the data CPI, more than one third of all S&P options volume was zero DTE trading. So, you know, look, to answer all three of these questions, it really comes down to positioning. Investors have remained offside. They've delevered. They're in higher levels of cash. We've seen that consistently in flows through 2022. And as a result, this has um, come down to less demand for hedging. And overall, those who hedge beginning uh, this year, it hasn't worked for them because of the path market, because of the grind of the market that we've seen. In reality, if you look at the put index versus the P put index, we're actually better off selling volatility, even with the spikes that we saw. Now, on days like the big CPI rally, what are we seeing from option investors who are seeing a huge reach for upside optionality? When I speak with most investors, their most critical tail remains to the upside and the concern about missing the rally. So, you know, we're seeing much more demand for calls than puts as the market moves up. And we can see this in the switch of correlation for VIX and S&P, what is historically an inverse relationship uh, and intuitively makes sense as an inverse relationship has been positively correlated. So essentially, both the VIX and the S&P moves up on rallies as investors demand options to the upside. Why are we seeing this? This is a function of the extreme data dependence we're seeing in the Fed. And this has also dramatically changed the tenors that options are being traded in the market. Um, and I think that means that zero DT is the shortest you can really get. But we're also seeing investors who traded one month options going to one week and those who traded one week going to one day. Now, on a functional level, that really means the exacerbation um, 
in terms of realized volatility swings on days like CPI is greater than ever as the gamma dynamics become more pronounced due to the tenor reduction. And so what do you do with that information? You know, we continue to to recommend that investors be tactical, uh, particularly around dated events where that gamma exacerbation is going to be highest on CPI days, on non-farm payroll days, where you really get high payout attractive um, results for using out-of-the-money call spreads with a weekly tenor ahead of those data-dependent events. And obviously, the next one will be in December. One note I want to make specifically on mega cap tech uh, is, is the implications it has for volatility and correlation. So obviously, we know Fed rate policy has a very meaningful impact on long-duration assets. This past earnings cycle, we saw what that meant for names like Meta or Amazon. Last summer, in 2021, Meta comprised 22% of the XLC, the S&P Communications Index. It's now only 12%. Historically, seven names composed over a quarter of the entire S&P and over half of the Qs. So one thing to keep in mind is as mega cap tech declines, this meaningfully changes the correlation makeup of the ETFs as well. So for S&P, where cyclicals or healthcare or financials can replace tech weights, this can serve to dampen volatility. But one thing to watch out for is if we see a reversion in these long-duration assets, especially in mega cap tech, this is going to have an outsized volatility effect for tech-based ETFs like XLK, Qs, and XLC to a larger degree than you will see in S&P. So one trade we'd like there is when you see relative cheapness in the implied volatility ratios of tech, uh, it is a good opportunity to put on those relative traits if you believe there will be a reversion in long-duration assets possibly correlated to if the Fed makes more aggressive cuts of downside than were initially planned. Um, I want to move on to crypto quickly. So a few months ago, we interviewed Sam Bankman-Fried and Brett Harrison, who is the president of FTX. As I said to investors, this seemed like a good idea at the time. And if you're interested in the replay, we actually did ask Sam and Brett some questions about FTX and if it was too big to fail and what that would look like on a systemic risk basis. And I think the one thing I'll tell you is, Investors have come to me post that call, given everything that's gone on with FTX, and essentially said, "What is? Why is the resiliency, you know, relatively strong for crypto, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, given everything that's happened?" And there's basically two answers to this. The first is, "Wait and see. Maybe it won't be. We're we're getting more information every day with Genesis, with BlockFi, with FTX, and so it's possible that, you know, it is just a matter of time." But the second answer is. There was one theme that not only FDX pointed to, but a lot of other crypto firms pointed to as well, which is just the overall idea of institutional adoption. And I think that is something that is real, and you are seeing it in the relative resiliency of Bitcoin, which is that most investors I speak to on the institutional side who do have in a digital assets book are not selling, but they're not buying either. And as long as that is the case, even with the flush out you're seeing in retail, it is possible that that resiliency will continue. So I will leave it there. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining this edition of Macro Minutes. As mentioned at the outset, uh, 2023 is going to be complicated. Um, you know, how quickly inflation eases, how much growth slows down. 
Uh, these are going to be paramount in assessing uh, monetary policy uh, reaction functions, uh, what happens to bond yields, currencies, and the broader uh, risk asset space. Uh, so stay tuned for our publications and future episodes of Macro Minutes uh, to stay up to date with the evolving landscape uh, from our RBC experts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.